Good, good, good. I am excited to be here today. Um, I've been traveling a lot. I just got back from Houston the other day. But um, if you're on, on the slide, you see is there's a conference. Um, it's my Boulevard Conference. It's a conference that we're hosting on October the 19th to the 21st. Um, actually, the days of the conference, the pre-conference is the 19th, but the day of the conferences are the 20th and the 21st. And we wanted to send out a personal invitation out to each and everybody here at Blueprint Church. If you guys don't know, if you don't realize that um, Blueprint Church was planting on, planted in, on January 3rd of 2010, we named Blueprint Church because the definition of a blueprint is a plan or a process that's used as a guide to start something new. And so what we found is that um, in the 21st century is the first century where more people live in the urban community than live in suburban and rural areas. They say up to 70% of the world lives in the urban context. But what happened, it seems like in, the, in a time where the world is becoming more urban, that our churches have become more suburban and rural. Um, and so what we did is that we wanted to establish a blueprint. We wanted to be a church that's planting other churches, that are starting other churches and other communities um, that are embracing the beauty in the complexity, um, in the density, and the diversity that we see in the urban context. And so annually, we were putting on conferences. We had our last conference in 2018, but then after the pandemic and all that, we stopped. But we're doing a conference this year. And so different practitioners, different leaders, different all the way from everyday professionals to pastors to planners are coming here, and we're going to be doing a, a, a conference here. We wanted to invite you to join us in that conference. You can, get, you can come on one or, few, one or a few ways. One, you can just volunteer and um, serve at the conference, and if you volunteer, it's free. Um, two, the other thing that you can do is that you can pay, and we are giving at an extremely discounted rate, $25 for those that just want to come and just attend on the 20th and 21st to come and to be around people ministering in different environments like ours across the country. And then the third um, opportunity is that if um, we have different people coming in, and if you want to um, provide a host home for people, we have people coming all the way from California to Virginia to Canada, you know, in different places. And so part of the experience is being able to experience life with the people that are living in the area and learning. And so we wanted to have that environment. So this is an invitation to you, October the 20th. Um, again, there's the QR code on there for any of you that um, desires to come. And so let me pray, and then we'll jump into our message for today. Father, 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 we are thankful for your grace, for your mercy, and the privilege that we have to come before you today. Lord, thank you, Father God, that you have allowed us to be a blueprint, Lord, and that we have seen, Lord, your work happening, Father, in different parts of the country, Father. We have seen your work happening, Father, as people struggle, Father, um, to represent you well. God, thank you for us being a small part of that. Thank you for us having the ability to gather and having the facilities to do so, Lord. We pray, God, that you would help us today, Father, as we seek to honor you, seek to be hearers and doers of your word. And so, Father, to you be the glory, Father. And so, Father, prepare our hearts and our minds to be ready to hear what you have to say to us today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and ask all these things. Amen and amen. All right, all right. If you have your Bibles, open up with me to Esther chapter 6. Esther chapter 6, we've been going through the book of Esther, and we've named this series Living in the Tension right? How do we as believers make courageous choices in a time of compromise and uncertainty, right? 
in a time of both compromise and uncertainty, right? And so we've been walking through the book of Esther, and one of the things that we have seen come over and over and over again throughout this book is this question. Um, and what the author wants us to recognize, is it providence or is it coincidence, right? And the author is strategically has placed that the way we make courageous choices in a time of compromise and an uncertainty is that we trust, we lean into God's providence. We lean into God's providence because in God's providence, we recognize that God's providence is God's being at work, even or regardless of whether or not we acknowledge him or not. And so we've been walking through this book, recognizing kind of what has been going on in this time. And so you know, and this is something that we all struggle with, that we all wrestle with. And so this, uh, I was thinking about kind of how to start off and to talk about this message. And, you know, and I started thinking about my family. And one of our family, um, for those of you who don't know, where my wife and I were married, we have six children, um, you know, all high school, four high school and two in college right now. And, um, but we go on vacations. My favorite vacation, my favorite types of vacation are cruises. So if you ever want to bless me, just know those are my favorite types of vacations. And so, but when we go on vacations, basically we're cheap. We're cheap. So, you know, if you've been on a vacation on a cruise line before, you know that they have those excursions. We're just like, we can't get the excursion. So we always try to find out what the excursions are, but we then try to figure out how we could do it on our own, right? And go alongside the excursion, but without actually doing the actual excursion. And so we tried to decide. So one time we went to a cruise and we were in France and, um, in France, we, we got off the boat and was winning the cruise, and it just started off bad. It could have been like we already kind of knew, like the, the person that we had assigned to take us to the place didn't show up, and so we had to catch the bus, end up getting lost. It was just kind of already a bad deal, all right? And so we finally get, but we get to the destination, into the place where we're going to go on a hike. So we get to the hike. We found a, the tour guide that we already kind of prepaid, and the tour guide took us up. It was a beautiful scene, beautiful scenery and all that. But then it was just like, all right, now it's time to get back. Again, the, the driver that we had disappeared. So we, they didn't show up. And so we had to navigate. So it was just like, and again, we're cheap. So instead of getting an Uber or anything like it, it was like, we'll just catch the bus, right? Because, you know, it's six, it's eight of us. It's eight of us, you know, even though we do this, even when it's just two of us. But for this purpose, it was eight of us. And so we like, so we get back on to the, the so we try to navigate. So we catch the buses and trains and there was all types of, types of transfers and things. And so what ends up happening, so we put the map in, like, you know, the, the address of where the dock tells us to put in. And so we put it in and we try to get up. We had transfer, get on this boat, get on this, and then so, or get on this train get on this bus, and we go. And then all of a sudden, we land, and the bus driver says, it's right there. And we look, and we, there's no water anywhere around. There's no water to be seen. And so we're like, okay, we are not in the place. So we spend basically the next hour trying to find out, right, hey, the address you gave us is not the address where we're supposed to go. We're trying to find um, our way back. So we spend about an hour trying to figure out. And by the way, the, the boat is leaving you in two hours. And they remind you that if you are not on the boat in two hours, they will literally take your passports and give them to the, the person and say, you're on your own. 
And so we're about two hours away. It takes us an hour to do it. And so all of a sudden, we're like, oh, my gosh, what are we doing? We're freaking out. Nobody in France is speaking English. And if you've ever been there, they, don't, they, are, they are looked down on you that you don't know how to speak French. Right. And so now I'm so we're talking and we're trying to figure this out and all that. And then we're just like, all right, we, we, we finally get the address. We Google Maps it and basically to find out, hey. It's about a 40. What was it? 40 minute. It was about three and a half miles, 40 minute walk or however you can get there. And we had about 40 minutes to get onto the boat. So we're like, oh, gosh. We got to go for it. So we start jogging and we start running and we're running. We're getting it. We're getting it. And we're, we're going. And I just want you to know, every time people say that in that time of emergency that you have extra energy, nah, that, that doesn't work. So my jog and my trot went to a slow jog to a walk and I was like, I'll catch up. I'll catch up. Right. And so we're going. But listen, so as we Google this, we're Google Maps in it. We decide not to put in like it's not like the walking route, but we decide to put on it's this, the car. So all of a sudden we're at the point and we're still we're about 20 minutes out. And then about the boat is leaving in about 20 minutes. We're going. Right. Next thing we know, we turn we turn on this street like and so we think it's a street but the next thing we know we find ourselves and this is seven of us we find ourselves like we're on an on-ramp next thing i know we are on the freeway so here i am i have my family on this freeway all seven of us on the freeway and at that time he's like what are we going to do we're on this freeway we don't know what to do and so what we start doing is that we start putting our thumb out we start hitchhiking <laughs> and i'm telling you none of this is made up i'm not fabricating any of this like we are putting our thumb out and we are on the freeway hitchhiking and i'm like what are we doing all right so we are there for about it could have been 20 seconds 30 seconds and then all of a sudden someone pulls up and they were just like, what are you doing? You know, it's the freeway. And they're like, we don't even know. They first started doing it in French. And we're just like, we don't understand you. But we got like, we're just trying. And then after we find out, the person actually spoke English. And literally, this is probably the second person in all of France that we have found that is speaking English. Right? He speaks English. He's in this truck. He was just like, and it's literally, it's a truck that only has two seats in the front and about three seats in the back. And it was just like, you guys got seven. We don't have enough room. It's like, ah, it don't matter. Don't. We jump in. Two of us jump in. There's two of them already in the car. We slide in and everybody else is in the back seat. And we're trying to figure out how to get there. All right. And so, but not only that. So when we go, we're going like the, the boat. If you've ever been like, there had like all type of gate passes and things that you have to get in order to get back there. It was so by coincidence or by God's providence, what ended up happening was this guy, that the one guy that picked us up, the one guy that spoke English, ended up having a pass to get into the gate. He ended up like going and knowing how to get exactly to the boat. And so through long story short is that what happened was is that he was able to navigate, had gave us water, all of these things, and got us right up to the boat. And we got there about 10 minutes to go. And we were like, isn't he good? 
right? And so we're, we're just going through this. We're struggling. But you see, but it's times like that you sit back and you reflect and you say, was that coincidence or God's providence? You see, and oftentimes as believers, whenever decisions get big or we have life-shaping or life-altering things, we look back on our life and our doubt begins to creep in. And we say, was that just a circumstantial chance of coincidence of why we chose the job that we chose or the school that we that we chose, or the mate that we chose, or, or even the decision that we made, or, or even the time that we went to church. And it was just like, man, is it just providence that I'm here and the, the pastor is talking about exactly what I was going through? And I haven't even been in church for a while. But it just so happened that today that I'm here, that he's talking about the thing that I've been struggling with or wrestling with. Like, how many times has that happened to us? And But oftentimes that in our um, the worst of our states and our worst of our doubt, we find like, oh, that just must be coincidence. But it's actually God's providence. And so what we see throughout the book is that this author who intentionally leaves out the name of God in the book of Esther, but shows God's fingerprints all over the book of Esther, ultimately to connect with us and to relate to us to show that even in the messiness of life, that God's fingerprints is all over it, right? Both in the good and the bad things. And so this is kind of where we are in the book of Esther. We are about to reach the pinnacle of this book, the climax of this book of kind of what was going on. If you've been tracing or following with us, we're at a point right now that... um, Haman is mad at Mordecai. Haman is ready to kill Mordecai. So much so, Haman builds a gallows 75 feet high in the middle of the city and saying, tomorrow morning, I'm going to the king and I'm going to have Mordecai killed, right? Because you already know Haman throughout this book in these first five um, chapters, Haman has already determined that he is on on an all-out bent to destroy not just Mordecai, but all of God's people, right? And so a decree has already been set, right, on a certain day to destroy all of God's people. And this is where we pick up the story. In Esther chapter 6, verse 1, it starts off, and again, if you're, not, if you're not keen on what's going on, you'll miss it because it starts off and it says, that night. That night. And when we're talking about that night, we are, we are meant to kind of bring in is just to look and to read into God's providence, God's hand of everything that took place in, on that night. And in the same way you affirm that it's no way in the world that all of these things happened to us when to me and my family was just simply a coincidence, that it's the same thing that the author of Esther is saying This is not a coincidence. We're supposed to be led to that same point to realize that this is not a coincidence. This is God's providence. That night, sleep escaped the king so that he ordered the book recording daily events to be brought 
to, the, to read, to be read to the king. So what we're meant to see is that in, in, in these first six verses, the first six verses, we see God's fingerprints. We see God's providence all over this text, all over this text. And when we talk about providence versus coincidence, let me just kind of define them for us real quick. Providence, again, is God's activity through history to accomplish his purposes, regardless of whether humans acknowledge him or not. Providence is God's activity through history to accomplish his purposes, regardless of whether humans acknowledge him or not. Well, coincidence is a kind of a, a remarkable occurrence of natural events or circumstances without any kind of apparent connection. It's just a bunch of random things that have, and you know, that's what scientists want us to believe, that, that we have just kind of a bunch of coincidences that kind of all happened at the same time, and we just kind of popped up, that there's no intelligent design behind life behind our activities, behind what's going on. And that's in, in our time, we struggle between coincidence or providence. But in these first um, few verses, we see some things that just shows that God's hand, and I'm just going to bring out a few. There's so many more that we could bring out in the book of Esther. But verse one, we saw that the, couldn't, that the king, he couldn't sleep. There was insomnia that took place that he had on that particular night. Was that coincidence or providence? But not only could the king not sleep in 1B, it said the second half of verse 1, it says the king's, you see the king's choice of entertainment. That in that time, not only was, did he have insomnia, but we know that King Ahasuerus or King Xerxes was a man who normally his choice of entertainment would normally be like a concubine or a harem. We know all throughout that many people and many scholars have said that he rarely ever slept alone. So even that night, for some reason, instead of choosing another harem to come, he, in the midst of his sleeplessness, he decided to choose, I want to read a book. Give me one of the books. That he had. That night, the king's decision or, or the, the choice of his entertainment, even the choice of the book. So he told the people to go get him a book. Go get him some things. Like, Just tell me about the history that we have. And out of all of the books that were chosen, they decided they, have, they chose the book reminding them about Mordecai and informing him about the time that he saved them uh, from the two guards that were trying to kill him. That night, that night, the king's decision to honor Mordecai, that he first starts off with the question, he says, yeah, I remember that. Has he been honored? But then he asked the question later on, he says, how can I honor him? You see, what's interesting about this is and what, what even I bring out in that point is that oftentimes that the king, that he was pretty, you know, immediate in what he was doing all throughout. He wasn't delayed. He didn't delay many things. But for some reason, honoring Mordecai was delayed. Have you ever thought like how the story would have happened if immediately when Mordecai did that all the way in back in chapter one? If you would have honored him then, how the story would have been? 
But God chose to honor him years later. Years later, all on that night. The king's choice to decide to honor Mordecai. Has he been honored? And then how can I honor him? That night, Mordecai, right after coming off of a great night because Esther had a a banquet with him and he was honored that he was with the king and the queen and having a dinner is a only dinner that they just those three had and then he went home and immediately after leaving he was just like man all these things are happening to me or Haman Haman I'm sorry Haman all of these things are happening to me but I can't get it all I can't get it off my mind every time I see Mordecai not bowing down to me it's bothering me that night So he goes and he talks to his wife. He goes and talks to his friends and his wife and his friends say, hey, Mordecai, you know what you need to do? You need to kill him. You need to build this gallow in the middle of the city. And you need to not only build the gallow in the middle, you need to build this gallow 75 feet high. And you know what you need to do? You need to show off to everybody. If they defy you, they're done, right? And so it was a sign. And so that night, Mordecai reaches his boiling point that night, right? Not only that do we see that that night, as soon as Mordecai, he wakes up the next morning and and as he's going and as the king has been wrestling and through all of this, that night in the coming in, he comes in at the same time he asks the question, have we honored him? He asks the question, how can we honor him? Who's in the courtyard? Because the king is starting to wrestle. Like, how can we honor him? And at that same moment in time, Mordecai is in, ready to kill. Um, Haman enters, ready to kill Mordecai. That night. So you see all of this timing, all of these things that are happening at the same time. And all the while, we see later in 14, verse 14, Esther is still preparing. He, she had her first... Um, meal, and it was in between that next night was the next meal. All of this happened that night. And the author right here wants you to see, is this coincidence or God's providence? And we are to affirm, just shaking our head, it says, this is obviously providence. This is obviously God's activity, even though we don't see his name even though we don't see him clearly doing. This is obviously God because all these things happened on that night. And so really what I want to do is that I just really want to just kind of say, like, what can we learn as we wrestle through what happened on that night? Because in verse 10, it says, the king told Haman, right? So let me back up for a minute. Haman, in verse 6, says this. Haman entered and asked the king. So we get to that point. He asked the king. What should be, and the king asked, I'm sorry, and the king asked him, what should be done for the man who the king wants to honor? Haman thought to himself, who is the king, who is it the king would want to honor more than me? So not only... Was he blinded by his 
rage, he was also blinded by his arrogance. Verse 7, Haman told the king, for the man the king wants to honor, have them clothe the man the king wants to honor. Parade him on the horse through the city gate and call out before the men, this is the man, this is what is done for the man the king wants to honor. So Haman right here is again, he is blinded by his own arrogance all the way to the point that Haman forgot why he was even there. Because what Haman loved more than even what he hated about Mordecai, that he loved him himself and he wanted to promote himself and he was so blinded by that that if you just think about it, ultimately what he was saying is he wanted to be treated like a king. He wasn't satisfied with just being elevated. He says, why don't you give this person that you want to honor, why don't you give them some of your clothes, even the clothes that you've worn? Why don't you put them on your horse, the horses that you ride? Why don't you have someone come and give them all the the pamper and the celebration like you usually get? And then why don't you do that for the man that you want to honor? You see, because Haman wanted to be king. And so in here, he, he forgot. He was blinded by his arrogance. He is blinded by his ambition that he wanted to be more exalted. And so in 10, he says, the king was like, hurry up. This is, I love it. I love the plan. Verse 10, the king told Haman, hurry and do just as you proposed. Haman would have to be excited. Yes, I'm loving it. I'm finally going to get my shine. But that ended quickly. He says, take the garment and a horse for Mordecai. And the record screech. Mordecai? You mean the guy that I came here to tell you that I wanted to kill? Mordecai? The guy that I just built this gallow for 75 feet in the middle of the city? Mordecai? The one that I, like we talked about this in all, in, you know, years back and remember we're killing all of his people? Mordecai, Mordecai? He says, Mordecai. Mordecai, he says, hurry and do Just as you propose, take a garment and a horse for Mordecai, the Jew, who is sitting at the king's gate. And he says, do not leave out anything you've suggested. Do it all. Verse 11, no discussion taking place. So Haman took the garment and the horse. He clothed Mordecai, paraded him around the city, the city square, calling out before him, this is what is done for the man the king wants to honor. Just think about what's going on. And I don't know exactly, the Bible doesn't tell us, but think about what's happening, that the place that Haman had for Mordecai's humiliation became the very place that God used for his exaltation. And we see this taking place. So as he's marching around the city square, you have to understand that Mordecai, what is in in eyesight? The gallow. As he's going around saying, this is the man that God wants to honor. And so all of this is taking place. 
And so what we see is when Satan begins to scheme in the heart of Haman what we and create this plan to destroy him, Mordecai's, to destroy Mordecai, God puts in the place of the king's heart to actually honor him. Like, I don't know if this, if he was thinking all of this, but we know that this stirred up Haman. So in verse 13, it says, Haman told his wife, Sarah, he immediately go, and all of his friends, everything that had happened. You see, I was there, I was going to tell him all the stuff that you told me last night, but something must have happened on that night. Because when I went into the king, instead of me being there, before I even had a chance to tell the king that I wanted to kill him and I built this gallop for him because he's just disrespectful and all that, the king said this thing to me. He was just like, I thought it was me. And instead of it you know, being me, it was actually Mordecai. And Mordecai was just like, oh, my gosh. And then I ended up having to parade him around. You know how embarrassing that is? Right? And then he says his advisors in verse 13. And his wife, Zeresh, said to him, since Mordecai is Jewish and you have, you have begun to fall before him, you won't overcome him because your downfall is certain. Isn't that like wives got a way of telling you? You're just like, you got to put that a little softer. He says, your downfall is certain. And while they were still speaking to him, the king's eunuchs arrived and rushed Haman to the banquet that Esther had repaired. All of this happened on that night. And the question is, was it coincidence or was it providence? And the resounding answer is it was obviously God's providence that that all happened that night. And so the question becomes, and I wanna end with this, is I want us to give us a few points a few points, and there's actually five, five points that will help us. How do we have confidence or how do we trust or how do we have faith in God's providence? In God's providence, especially when it seems like we're in a compromised time in a place of uncertainty, in our certainty. The Bible tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is a big word. It's a fancy word. It simply talks about trust. Without the ability to trust God, it's impossible to please God. And so how do we leverage our faith in the midst of God's providence, especially when we don't know specifically that he's acting? We got the privilege of being able to read this book, understanding God's hand. When, when we were running on the freeway, hitchhiking, we thought we were about to be in France, right? But God had a plan already. He was orchestrating things. He was setting things up. He was already at work. And here's kind of the way we see it. Number one, how do we have faith in God's providence? One, we have to first recognize that our faith helps us to realize that we can't orchestrate the things that only God can bring. Our faith helps us to realize that we can't orchestrate the things that only God can bring. Even if Mordecai and Esther would have got together and devised the plan, they couldn't have come up with a better plan. Hey, all right, we're going to make the king not sleep that night. 
we're going to make them choose. Instead of choosing a woman, we're going to choose a book. And then when we choose that book, we're going to have the guards just kind of align up things and bring him this book. And then we're going to make sure that the king makes the decision to honor you because you remember, he never honored you, so going to honor you. And then after that, we're going to have Haman. We're going to piss him off so much the night before that he's going to want to come and enter in at the same time. And we're going to make sure his arrogance, all of that. Like, who would have came up with that plan? Right? And so all of these things happening, we recognize that we, when we trust through in God's faith, when we trust, or when we have faith, we realize that we can't even orchestrate the very things that only God can bring about. How many times have we looked back and said, God, this is obviously you. It's no way in the world that I would have done it this way, um, been about this way, or even thought about it this way. And even if I would have thought about this way, I wouldn't have been able to pull it off. Like this was obviously your hand. The second thing that we see is that our faith is the lens in which we see and interpret God's providence. Our faith is the lens which we see and interpret God's providence. Well, in James chapter 1, he tells us to count it all joy when we fall into various trials. You see, here's the thing. We all love it like when things are working good for us. We say, man, God was good. He was good, right? But the problem is, is when things are going bad, we have problems. Just think about this from Mordecai's perspective. Mordecai, all he knew was, he's like, they had a dinner, but he talked about with Esther. He knew that they, was having, they had the first dinner. Haman comes out the dinner. He sees Mordecai in his normal spot at the city gate. As he's coming out the dinner, Mordecai sees Haman and is reminded of him. Mordecai is mad and he said, I mean, Haman is mad to the point where he says, build a 75-foot gallow right now, put it in the middle of the city. Do you think Mordecai didn't know what Haman's plot was? No. Like, I believe he said it in front of everybody. I believe because, again, he was in on the in crowd that everybody knew, including Mordecai, that Haman was out to kill him. So all night, all night, Mordecai is in his bed tossing and turning. What am I going to do? I'm going to be killed in the morning. What am I going to do? All of this in the midst of what's going on. He's struggling. But what he thought would be bad would ultimately turn into good. It's real easy for us on this side of the story to understand what was going on. But in Mordecai's perspective, God, you left me. I'm standing up for you and your people. I even had faith. And I told the queen that you will deliver your people. But now this is where you put me? Like, just think about that. It is our faith that gives us the ability beyond what is happening. All the way to the point that when, you know, again, Abraham Abraham spent 30 years trying to have a newborn baby. And you know what the first thing that God said? Sacrifice him. God, what? This is your promise. I'm trying to fulfill your will. And you're telling me to sacrifice the thing that is in your will? 
sacrifice him. And the book of Hebrews tells us that Abraham even believed he trusted God so much that he thought that even if he was obedient to sacrificing his child, that God would be able to even raise him up. That it's our faith in God's ability. It's our faith that is the lens that we see to interpret God's providence even when we don't understand. It's our faith. The third one is it's our faith that gives us the ability to see beyond what's happened momentarily. It was Haman's faith. It is Abraham's faith. It is our faith that allows us to get out of what's currently going in. You see, what we have to understand is that man looks at the outward things, but God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. And he says, it's, so what, we, what he talks about is that it was the delaying. Mordecai could have been in his feelings. Mordecai could have been in all of these things. But he said it was like all the time there was a plan at work. And even though we're losing right now, even though it doesn't seem like things are going on, that God's not fulfilling his covenant promises, yet I can still trust beyond what's happening momentarily. The fourth one is it's our faith in God's providence that's helped us to trust him in good and bad things that happen to me. It's our faith. You see, again, part of the things that we got to understand is that God is sovereign over all things. But some of us have a problem with God's sovereignty because the question immediately comes to us, well, can a so- why does a sovereign God and a good God allow bad things to happen in the world? And we get mad at God. Did you allow this to happen to me? Right? But again, James chapter 1 tells us, count it joy when you fall in the various trials. Because God is doing something. He's, he's doing something in you. But then he goes on and he explains the theology behind the good and bad and how, why good or bad things happen. He says, let no one say when they're tempted by God that this is like God doing it. No, he doesn't, God doesn't tempt her. He's not the tempter, but God allows sometimes the tempter to perform what he set out to do because the devil is here to what? Steal, to kill, and to destroy. And there's moments in times that God says, okay, my people are still going to trust me even with you doing the things that you do. Right? We know, we understand the book of Job. Right? The book of Job explains this. That at the time, Job's wife was just like, just curse God and die. In Job 2 and 9. And he said to his wife, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. So that's what she said to him. Verse 10. You speak as a foolish woman speaks, he told her. Should we accept only the good from God? and not adversity. And throughout all of this, throughout all the book of Job, he did not sin in what he said, right? He trusted him. He trusted him. You see, it's our faith that gives us the ability to trust God even in the good times and in the bad times because we recognize the Bible says that all things work together for the good. God is able to take the worst event in your life and turn it into the greatest event. God is willing is able, willing and able to take the worst event in history, the killing of his son, and make it the best event in history. That because of his death, 
We are able. We are able. You see, it's our faith in God's providence, his sovereign activity, his behind the scenes, that he's able to do that. And finally, it's our faith in God's providence that promotes dependence and not hypervigilance. What do I mean by that? You see, sometimes when we recognize that, okay, God, I need you to speak. I used to, like, have moments. I've shared them before. But I used to have moments where I was just like, God, I want to hear your voice. And I'm not talking about speak to my heart, Lord, type hear your voice. I want the Moses type of audible hear your voice type of, you know, and I just like, I wanted to hear that voice. I won't, I'll spare you some of the details of that. But I wanted to hear you, Lord. I wanted to hear God. And there's moments in my time and I was just hearing and ultimately God never spoke. I've never heard God speak to me in an audible voice like Dahadi, like he spoke in Matthew. Right. I've never heard that. that I, but I, but I, 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 there was a time when I was obsessed with hearing that. Obsessed with hearing it. And so but when I don't when you don't hear God's voice, what ends up happening is that we end up beginning to put all our fleeces. You, you understand like the fleeces, like the times it's sort of like Gideon in the in, um, in the book of Judges. Gideon was a time it's like, God, like this is a hard thing that you're asking me to do, but I don't really know if you. This is really you, so show me a sign, right? And so whenever we have these times, it's like we start putting out these signs. And it was sort of like, you know, God, show me a sign. Is this boy? Is this, is this a boy that's in my belly or is this a girl? Oh, man, I saw three blue cars at the same time pass. Hallelujah, God, for showing me that sign that this is a boy, right? You know, that's how we do God sometimes. We put out these fleeces and we put out these things and everything becomes a sign, Right? You see, but our faith provides us, gives us the providence to promote that we are dependent on him, to trust him, even when he seems absent, not hypervigilance, not always thinking about, okay, God, what's your will, what's your will, what's your will, what do I do? Because what oftentimes our hypervigilance leads paralyzation, it makes us paralyzed. We end up not doing anything because we're waiting, right? Just imagine if Mordecai, Esther, decided they're not going to do anything until God clearly speaks. You see, this book is here to show us that trusting in God's provision is about trust. I mean, trusting in God's providence is about trusting in God's provision as we take the next step forward. That's what all this is about is for us to trust in God's providence is about trusting in his provision as we simply take the next step forward. We take the next step trusting God. And so that's our prayer. As we continue in the book, we recognize and you can read ahead and you can know kind of how the story ends. You see, but part of this is staying in the moment because this book is supposed to be like our lives. We don't know. There's no guarantee. The only guarantee that we know is this. We will be with him. We will be with him. Why? Because of the finished work of what he has done. We have a hope laid up for us in heaven. For those that are believers in Jesus Christ, there's a hope 
that's laid up for heaven. And that hope that's laid up in heaven for us is not the type of hope that is sort of like it's a 50-50 chance it's going to rain today. That's not the type of hope. You see, the hope that is laid up for us in heaven is the type of hope that you have is when you have that Christmas tree and it's Christmas Eve and you are waiting for Christmas Day to come out because you can open up the gifts that you have. You see, those gifts, it's not if you're going to get the gifts. You know you're going to get the gifts. Why? Because the gifts have already been purchased. And now it's just waiting to walk into being able to receive the gift in its fullness. You see, Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father, advocating for you, advocating for me, that no man comes to the Father except through him. But we have a hope for everybody who believes in Jesus Christ. We have a hope in our salvation that it's not about us. And that's what I love about this book. It's not about being like Esther. It's not all about being like Mordecai. It's about a people who had a hope in, un, in compromising times, in a time of uncertainty, of just simply trusting in Christ, trusting in God. And that's our prayer, that when we are in a time and we're in a season where it's like, God, we just, you just seem so absent from me, that we would still trust him. We will trust him. And if there's anybody in here who has not received that hope, I pray today would be the day that we would transfer our trust, stop hoping in ourselves, and that we would place all of our hope in Jesus and Jesus alone because he, ought, he is our ultimate Esther. He is our ultimate king. He is the one that God sent. He is the one who knew no sin and became sin for you. So stop putting your confidence in how well you're going to perform and start putting your confidence in how well he has performed. Trust. It's not by coincidence that you are here today, but it's God's providence. So let's maximize what God has called you and I to do for his purpose and for his glory. Father, we're thankful for your grace, for your mercy. Lord, ultimately, we are here to sing, thy will be done. Oftentimes, God, you don't give us the game plan, but I pray, Father, that we would trust in your hand as you guide us, as you lead us, and we would do the next best thing as we trust in you. Father, we love you, we bless you, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.